0: Before I get started, I just want to make two announcements. One is that we are currently accepting applications for the analyst training program, so if you are interested in becoming a Jungian analyst, please fill out an application on our website and submit it by January 15th. The second announcement is that we are currently running a holiday sale on our website, so all audio and video downloads will be 20% off through January 1st. To apply the discount, go to your shopping cart and enter the coupon code HOLIDAY, all lowercase, for 20% off all audio and video downloads through January 1st. Welcome to the jungian anthology podcast analytical psychology seminars from the cg Jung institute of chicago women's mysteries sources of creativity religion and spirituality and solace with jean shinoda bolin empty jungian analyst and author jean shinoda bolin leads a workshop for women who seek to nurture their own creative and spiritual yearnings and find ways of expressing, articulating, and valuing what grows out of their inner life and the life they have lived so far. In the company of other women who know that suffering and joy and life are linked, personas drop away and soul comes forth. Bolin weaves stories of psyche and goddess that have the power to touch themes and sacred places in the soul. And she leads listeners through a guided meditation, allowing the opportunity for personal symbols and myths to emerge. This seminar is also intended to serve as a model for women interested in forming their own spiritual groups. Jean Shinoda Bolin, MD, is a psychiatrist, Jungian analyst, and an internationally known author and speaker. She is a Distinguished Life Fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, a former clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California at San Francisco, a past board member of the Miss Foundation for Women, and of the International Transpersonal Association. She was a recipient of the Institute for Health and Healing's Pioneers in Art, Science, and the Soul of Healing Award, and is a diplomate of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. She is the author of many books, including Goddesses in Every Woman. This episode is part one of the series. Links to purchase the complete series will be in the show notes. We will also have links to other lectures by Dr. Bolin.
1: This weekend, not only have I brought into the world for the first time the book Crossing to Avalon with last night's lecture, but today and tomorrow I am trying a new form for weekend workshops. And that form has a number of intentions beyond the workshop itself. Many of you have been in workshops that I've done here before. You know that my way of leading you in workshops and in lectures is one of telling the story, amplifying it, and making it happen inside of you as well as through what it is you're hearing from me. That if I speak in metaphor, which my story or myth or legends are, the potential is that you will go inside yourself and remember and reconnect with the parallel experience that is your own. And so there is an interior experience That is invited to be present. Parts of you that you have not had time to remember and recollect find themselves invited back into your psyche. And it has to do with growing, transforming, descending, and invariably in the process becoming more authentic, more who it is that that you are. Now, over the past six or seven years, I've done a number of in-depth women's workshops, residential, week-long, opportunities for smaller groups of women, usually somewhere in the vicinity of 20 to 40, to be together, to be in a circle and to experience what it is that happens when women are meeting together. And what I am inviting to happen in this workshop is a similar experience. If women are together, experiencing within themselves something true and real, having the opportunity which you will have to be in smaller circles, Will you have the experience that invariably happens in the women's circles that I have been leading and and part of and that has to do with finding that nurturing energy, feminine energy mother comes into the space and there is a sense that there is in the nurturing experience of the presence of other women, in the experience of having all of you, all of the interior parts of you, the experiences that you have been through, invited to be present in you, and you in turn having an opportunity of selecting what of yourself you might share with women that I would like to see you think of as sister pilgrims. Because essentially on this path called life, once we get a sense that this journey is potentially a very sacred one, once we have a sense that we are spiritual beings who are on a human path, and by nature the human path involves times in which suffering, untoward circumstance, events happen that we did not want to happen, did not invite to happen but happened nonetheless. And in the limitations, in the vulnerabilities, in the difficulties of being human, the potential to become less and less or deeper and more presents itself to us over and over and over again. Because regardless of what unchosen circumstances we have, we always have deep within us the choice of how we are going to respond to the experience that has happened. Will we identify as victim, become bitter, become resentful, become shriveled at a soul level? Will we identify with the people that have treated us badly? Will we become hostile and attached to power over? Will we make somebody as miserable someday as someone else made us be miserable? Will we psychologically identify with the aggressor and pass it on and in the process have a soul loss? I mean, these are the human choices that we have. Or will in the midst of whatever circumstance we have understand something about how we share our fate as humans and have compassion for ourselves and for other people? And will we? grow through this experience and someday perhaps know what it is we came to do and what it is we came to learn and what it is we came to heal in this life, this lifetime, or in whatever significant relationship we have been through or or are in now. Or I like to think that the major questions of life, the what did we come to do, what did we come to learn, What did we come to heal? Are questions like the questions that must be asked in order to find meaning if we are on a grail quest and we have an experience of whatever the grail is that impacts on us and will we just have it happen and pass on or will we hold it in ourselves, wonder about it, muse upon it and basically ask the question What does this mean? What does this experience serve? How is it that I can respond to this moment of deepness that is far greater than my limited ego can fully grasp? But if I hold it in my soul and have it affect me and dialogue with it, if I keep asking for what, for whom does this experience, this grail, serve. That in the process of being with that, which is essentially the question all the time, what does any experience serve? What part of ourselves? What is the meaning of this? What are the choice points that they present to us? And over and over again, if we begin with the premise that our lives are meaningful that this is a spiritual or a soul journey and that it is not a final destination it is not a goal I mean by the time you hit midlife you understand that lots of goals that you had for yourself are ones that you either got to and it didn't turn out to be what you thought it was or you didn't get to it but either way most people by midlife have some understanding that whatever the it was a significant relationship a significant job whatever it was that was like a destination in the distance that the grasping of it even momentarily was not what the story really was about but the process of getting there the process of living through it the process of responding to it And gradually we get that it is the path that matters, that continually shifts where we are going, that is about what the journey means. And that time and time again, there are moments when we can choose what we will do, and time and time again, there are times when what happens to us is not of our own choice at all. Now in the notion of a women's circle. I take what it is that I have learned to appreciate in the one-to-one experience of being a Jungian analyst. That is, when a person comes into my office, there is the physical office, but far more important than that is the invisible space. That, that person comes into with me and that space in the the greek word is tamanos that if you do go on a real journey to sites in greece where there once were temples like at epidaurus or or delphi or Delos, uh, various places where, in an, times of antiquity, people ventured to have an encounter with the divinity that dwelt there. You'll find that on the maps of the ruins, there is very often somewhere in the center of the complex of buildings a round building that is referred to as the temenos or temenos, and many Jungian Writers have from time to time used the word temenos to describe what it means to be in a sanctuary because that's what it meant in days of old in those temple grounds. The temenos was the sanctuary, a word that comes from the word sacred, a, an image of the circle that, that archetypally is the image of the self or the totality or wholeness. But in a sanctuary, the soul of the person is in a sacred place. It is a place of sanctuary where you are not to be exploited, judged, treated badly, where power is not to be used to in some way minimize you, where it Ideally is a place where whatever it is that is in you may come out in whatever undeveloped form it still might be in. And might I remind you that anything that has not been allowed to grow in your psyche is still alive but in the underworld. And in the darkness of that unconscious place in the underworld, in that place where you have repressed things because they were too painful or they made you too ashamed, or in that place where parts of you were never welcomed and so you kept the lid on all of that, all of whatever that is is alive. But like anything that has not seen the light of day, has not been nourished, has not been welcomed into the world and cared for whatever it is is still undeveloped or distorted and needs to be brought into a tamino space like whatever it is that we are that came into the world first as an egg and then as well first as a fertilized egg. One cell, and then two cells, and then four cells, and then 16 cells, and then, in the process of a nine months incubation in the womb, all of what started out as a, a, a kind of a pouch here or an, a, 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 um, swelling there becomes the head and the arms and the heart and the GI tract and the brain and with enough time and if the temenos, which is the womb, is truly uncontaminated and if there is enough space, that which is growing there grows until it is ready to be able to exist outside that temenos and must then go through a difficult passage. It's not enough to be formed. It would seem that in order to bring it out into the world, one must go through a transition period where you feel dreadfully at risk and wonder if you're going to make it, and wonder as you get squeezed through that passageway and come out, wonder uh, where it is you will be going and how it is you will be welcomed, and whether it is that you are bringing a new talent into the world or following a path that you know from within is true, true for you and no one else is going to understand it, or whether it is that you, in your way, do what I am doing this weekend, which is bringing a new work of mine into the world, you bring it out not knowing how it's going to be received. And yet, if you don't bring it out, how are you going to grow? What new thing will ever come out of your psyche into the world if you don't risk what it is we all risked when we went through that gateway that was under the pubic arch of our mothers through the vaginal canal and out into the world. I mean, from our very inception, all of us did what Joseph Campbell described as a hero's journey of traveling beyond the known world out and all of us when we entered this world after nine months or less of being inside our mothers began life with an ordeal that took us heroically into a world we did not make wondering what was going to happen next coming into then what is our personal story and maybe we had something to do with choosing to come into a particular dysfunctional or functional family wherever we came. Maybe somewhere before we incarnated in this life, maybe we knew what we were getting into and that we would be tested by the experience and the soul would grow or not. Maybe we elected to take the same kind of risk that the fetus takes on becoming an infant and coming out i don't know you don't know but maybe we will find out someday that there was a story that we actively chose to enter we don't know that now but we all know that we came into our particular life stories and for many people that first connection with mother father family was really difficult because of the problems in the family, because of the relationships that were already dysfunctional before you even arrived, because of who you resembled or what hopes were placed on you, you came into your particular world and began a story. And that story continues because you're still here. And it means often that time and time again we enter significant relationships as we have life with a sense if we become conscious that there's that there are choice points that there's something about what we came to do what we came to learn and what we came to heal in choosing once again for example what it is we are doing When people choose to come to what might be a significant experience, it might only be a weekend, but the same questions need to be asked, questions that you may not know the answer to until weeks from now. Maybe you will know something of the answer as the workshop continues in the next day and a half about what it is that you came to learn or do, or heal in the process of of being here. And it's something that you can do inside yourself if you yourself will consider being a temenos for all the other parts of yourself. Sometimes it's not safe to reveal how it is you truly feel to yourself because you allow a critic that you have internalized to demean and beat you up and ridicule you and humiliate you for feeling that way for not being perfect for actually being open to the to the potential of awkwardly reaching for a new part of your life and some critical judgmental hostile and Sometimes sadistic part of yourself makes it an unsafe place for the parts of you that would come out of the underworld, come into the psyche for you to know. And so the, the, the function of temenos is something that, that is a concept to hold to will you be a temenos for whatever is emerging in yourself are you in a temenos in your significant relationships including your therapy relationship including your your significant other is it a safe place where you can truly say what it is you feel and what it is you perceive without being punished in the many ways that people can punish us by disapproval, by withdrawal, by judgment, by hostility. If you are not an antemunos, then it is not safe to bring forth what is new and awkward and struggling because it isn't, isn't safe to bring it out. That's why we repressed a lot of the parts of ourselves and forgot a lot of the painful stories that we lived It's because it wasn't safe to remember and reconnect and bring it out. But as adult women, we have the potential of creating within ourselves and I think within women's circles a temenos where it is safe to feel what you feel and speak of it and to speak of what you perceive and speak of it And as you voice things, that part of you grows, witnessed by others who are sister pilgrims, that is, who have a sense that this is a meaningful life that we are living and that it matters what we do and that it matters that we open ourselves to trust and to love and to risk and to grow. And we need that space that is essentially a mother space because the, the initial model for Temenos is the great mother that was our own mother when we were in the uterus and therefore grew. So, invited into a women's workshop, a women's circle, a women's group is the notion of creating a safe space to be, and where no one woman does mother for everybody else, but where there is enough mother to go around. Because when groups of women come together who have some sense of the individuation journey, there are they are women who I am sure is like every woman in this room right now. You've thought some, you've felt some, you've read some, and you've been deeply moved by something that tells you that this does matter what choices you make. And basically that knowing yourself more is something worth doing. So you start out with that. And then if you start out with a sense of, being with other women for whom the journey is sacred. Meaning that at some core place, the archetype of the self, the spiritual invisible aspect, the interior life matters. If you are with a group that holds to that ethic and you meet at that level, then you create a temenos. And you also have to consciously attend to the boundaries of the temenos, the same boundaries that have to do with a therapeutic process. That what you say is accepted as process, is not judged and ridiculed or thought of this is the end comment of this person. That you don't break The spirit, it isn't always that you never utter a single word about anything that was ever said in that circle. It says that you treat everything that is in that circle as sacred, as a trust. And therefore, you either don't say anything about what goes on in the circle at all, or and you certainly protect the confidentiality of whoever it is in the circle that has spoken up about a particular thing. But it has something to do with even talking to the other women in the circle with you afterwards, that there isn't that awfulness of, well, did you hear what she said? Oh, my God, you know. Oh, I didn't know that about her. Uh, And the way that has to do with putting her down and it not being a temenos for her and the material that she brought into the circle. So there is a deep process of respect that has to be part of a terminus. And an acceptance as we, you know, we who have been mothers have watched our children go through lovable phases and awful phases, awkward phases and, you know, difficult times when they acted in ways and said things that we would just assume they didn't say, especially to us, and that kind of experience. But we didn't hold that against them as being that is all they are. We had a sense of their growth experience, that they were going through an awkward phase or a difficult time or whatever. And that's what we do for anyone that we truly understand and love. And so in a women's circle where it's safe, there is that respect for the process that is going on. And there is also the need to not codependent anybody in the circle which is to say that you respect yourself enough to speak the truth of your experience in a kind way. I think that there is something about karma in this life that I see how people keep repeating stories in an effort to make it right. And as they get more conscious, they choose better, respond differently, and decide I've had enough of this story and choose another one. Or they really get something about it that is what they needed to be in yet another one of these relationships for you know to get the message about what the story is about, and and they do. Or there is a sense of them um, being in this in this experience, and and. Uh, Having a choice, I mean, sometimes by being someone else's codependent, you allow yourself to be harmed and you allow that other person to live out more bad karma for them. I think that when you allow yourself to be abused, it not only affects your soul, but it clearly affects the soul of the other person who gets to treat you badly. And that if you have the overview sense that we are interconnected in this karmic journey that we're on, that we have chosen at some level to reenact portions of our story with this particular person. Now, when we were children, we had to stay with the situation until we were old enough to get out of it in some kind of safe enough way to be in the world because the family of origin was the world. When as adult women, we are in stories, relationships, uh, work situations, therapy situations, we have choices as to whether we will stay there, change the situation, get out or not. I mean, there are choices in, in this. And to get that we have entered it for some potential purpose, is to find some meaning in asking the questions. Okay, I'm here, Uh, this is not going well. What is it about it that I can consciously address? And then we find we have considerable leeway about such things as speaking up or remaining silent, for example. And so in a woman's circle, which is a replication and a recreation and an effort, always imperfect, because that's what this life business is about. We never do it right. We do it, and we do it anyway. And so if you're in a circle or in a therapy relationship or a significant relationship and someone is maltreating the experience What are you going to do? Well, lots of times um, we therapize what the other person is doing, intellectualize it. And it's another um, way of being exceedingly judgmental, but maybe not changing it. It's only when you speak from the I position, when you own your own feelings, and therefore it takes courage to put yourself out there and say something to somebody else that might make them angry or make them hurt and when you recognize that these are choices that you have and that you might be caring and careful but clear and authentic that if you sit and just let it continue and continue. You get more and more unreal as you're sitting in the situation, putting up your defenses, putting up your persona walls, and that you are negatively affected because you let it keep on happening. What I'm telling you about a women's circle is over and over what... a a model for um, community, for relationship, for life in general. But I think that very often in a women's circle it is by nature if you choose each other well, that is if every one woman in the circle has a capacity and concern for the archetype of meaning and the self in her, if she is there, because she wants to be and if all of you can sit for periods of time in quiet together in inviting out more of that self energy or that mother energy uh, if you can be with yourself in the circle at the same time that it is that you are with the others in the circle then what happens is it becomes a sanctuary truly I speak from the experience of being in many circles, obviously many circles in, as a convener, facilitator, leader, but I've also been in, in two circles in my own life, one that has gone on and is still going on for about seven or eight years. I meet with six women every other Tuesday evening in what we call a prayer and meditation group. Uh, and for, and Many of us have therapy backgrounds, and what we did not want was a therapy group. What we wanted was not even clear when we first started, but it was clear evening by evening when it was the kind of circle we wanted and when it was the kind of circle we didn't. And uh, the the fact that we do pray or meditate together, I think, is a major key to why it feeds us and why we stay connected to the circle week in, week out, even when we are not meeting. Uh, I know, as I go out with crossing to Avalon, that that particular circle is one that will meet for the next four times and I won't be able to be there and I know I'm in that circle and I'm connected to that. I know that because I was anxious about what to reveal, what to say, how personal to be, and that because they knew of the experience of that period of my life as well as the period of writing about it, that I had support in that group for birthing the situation, I do have a sense of how the temenos and the womb space is much the same. That where something new in you can struggle to be born and to have form, that a circle can really hold that trust. I belong to another circle that that went on for about six years and never went deep enough to continue beyond. It, it had a, also a very good and supportive uh, function. But it was like there was something about this particular circle that didn't hold as a true timinus and it meant that either by withholding or by judgment or by whatever it is that are the subtleties of the group. That the trust of bringing things out and having the circle hold it somehow didn't work. So it worked up to a point, and then it got to that place, which is where we get with every significant relationship. It's like we've gotten this far, and we are at some kind of impasse, and what next? We happened as a group to dissolve, and have uh, and and small segments stay in touch with each other, and that was a learning not only a learning experience, but it also was in periods while it lasted, and in periods as we tried to, you know, when you get to that point in a group as when you get to that point in a relationship when all you're talking about is whether we are going to stay together or not, that it can move if you, if you I mean, it either flounders there or you go deeper and it holds. And sometimes it holds and sometimes it doesn't hold. So in this particular workshop, I want you to have an overall sense of what a circle might be, and later on today and tomorrow, to have you be in a circle. It won't be a long time, obviously, because we don't have that much time together, but it is a model. And then what my real hopes for is that out of this group, some of you will start your own circles, and find them womb spaces for your growth and transitions. Because as pilgrims on a path, we travel with other pilgrims, and they are as important to the journey during certain phases of the journey. as The fact that we are realizing that we are on a pilgrimage and that we are seeking to be connected with sacred sites inside, outside, wherever that sacred site might be. That we are hoping to grow in the process of being on the path we're on. And when we travel with others, they serve several significant realities for us realities that are intangible that is the part of the story they tell about their journey becomes alive in our psyches and for women we don't have generations of foremothers because women have never had as much freedom to choose who they will be ever than right now so we don't we don't look down the line, back historically. We are who we have now for the most part. But any woman in a horizontal circle who has dared something, lived through something, tried something, is something, becomes a model for us. If we know her, if we feel for her story, then her story feeds us a possibility about what we can do and what we can become. And it is that kind of genealogy that we have in a horizontal circle and why it's important to hear who this other woman is in, the st- in your story in the circle. The other is what it means to be a witness to another woman's story. That if you grew up in any dysfunctional kind of family, if you are in any kind of dysfunctional situation now, shame is part of it. Secrets are part of it. And whatever you feel is so unacceptable that you can't talk about it to somebody else. Makes you feel an imposter. Oh, these people think they know me, but they don't really. If they knew this part of me, they wouldn't accept me. Or um, what I have been through. It's not just what I have done, but it's strange. It's strange how the child has such an innate sense of justice that when she is born into a situation where abuse... Uh, sexual, physical, psychological abuse happens to her or she observes it happening around her. She feels that if this much bad is being done to me or I am in this bad a situation, I must be bad. An innate kind of primitive sense of justice that says there must be some it must make sense that that all this badness is happening, I must be bad. It's it's sort of a putting together the story with justice as a principle, but the perspective is all wrong. But if you hold to that perspective, then that history is connected with that feeling of being bad yourself. And you feel that you are beyond the pale, that what has happened to you your victimization or if you victimize someone else as part of that dysfunctional (coughs) situation that that is so awful that you must keep it a secret and it makes you different outside looking in. It always then seems like everybody else has a nice functional situation and if they knew about this they wouldn't accept me and so you pretend like you have no shadow you pretend like you've not been through the family you've origin stories that you have been through and it's like you're in a circle with a great portion of you left out of the circle and then when you find you're in a temenos and often the first place that you find it is in a counseling therapy situation and the therapist may think that it is something professional that he or she is doing that is making the difference But I suspect that it is something more and less, more than that I would say, and that is that you are talking to a human being who listens to your story compassionately, witnesses your story, and serves as a representative of the human race who has accepted you in your totality by listening to what you did or what happened to you. And yet, because it's a therapy situation, there's still the feeling that through this, I have had a portion of my pain and wound healed. But still, it still makes me too different to speak of it to an ordinary civilian. And I say civilian because I'm reminded of the Vietnam War veterans who went through a terrible experience, saw awful things, may have done terrible things, That put him beyond the pale of the ordinary civilian life. And then to come back into life, especially at a time when they were thought to be despicable, baby killers, etc. How they were existing beyond the pale, out there, beyond community. And there are still a great many Vietnam War veterans, though alive and in the United States, are among the missing because they have not returned to community. And the ones that have returned to community are the same, do so in the same way that any of you that have been incested or abused comes back into community. And that is that you tell the story and have it accepted. And very often when it is a traumatic stress experience, it does need to have either an exceedingly patient, accepting person be willing to hear it over and over again until it is enough. Or a therapist who does it for us. particular period of time, is paid for the work of it, and so you feel you can come in and, say it one more time you'd wear out any other person in your life and that therapist by doing it is being a a member of the human community welcoming you back through the human capacity of compassion and understanding through looking at someone as you tell your story and finding that that person does not withdraw from you does not flinch does not think you're some kind of awful person, because that's what happened to you, or that's what you did. And therefore, the witnessing that friends do for one another over time, that therapists do, that circles do, have this healing element that is about community, that welcomes you back, or the parts of you back. And one of the things that has to do with what true intimacy is, is that there has to be a temenos where you can bring out what it is that has happened to you, what it is you feel, what it is you perceive, but not without being withdrawn from or jumped all over. And everybody has had the experience of of mistakenly thinking that a part of you could be trusted to this person only to find that was... Not so. And then it, and it, then it's the hurt and betrayal again, which is felt, which is part of it, but too often what the person feels is that whatever it was that I shared really is bad enough that once it happened to me and now this other person I'm telling it to is responding to me in a negative way because I'm bringing it up. And it's a wounding on top of a wounding. So that there's a... There's a need and an enormous function of what we can do for one another by being witnesses to each other's lives, which is is, uh, what happens. The other thing that happens in any circle, but I'm using women's circles as, as a model, is that not only is it that what any woman has done that I can connect with, feel kinship to, becomes a potential for me to consider doing as well. Then that way, every woman in the circle is a person in her own right, but is also a part of me. So it is that the projections and the difficulties that we are having with certain people in the circle, or the admiration and elevation that we do with certain people in the circle, that, that lived as a dream imagery, as an intrapsychic as well as an interpersonal thing, then when I'm having difficulty with somebody, or when I am, am elevated somebody above me, the question psychologically is, what am I projecting? What am I re-experiencing? Who is this person as a symbol? why is this woman bugging me so? Uh, Often when somebody has grown up and repressed anger, a woman who starts being very angry in the circle is punished by the other women who feel that what she's doing is not okay. And the reason it often is not okay is that They have solved the problem of their own anger by repressing it in themselves. And so they want to repress the woman in the circle who is speaking up. Or or overly emotional. Um, Or there is a sense of, I've been through this before. You know, I had to listen to a significant woman, mother, sister in my life who does a hysteric number. And I don't want to keep doing this one again. And... In doing so, you often do not really connect with, in a compassionate way, with the woman who's telling her story. You are projecting onto her that you know it all, that you know you've lived through this before with somebody else. And you're treating her just as if she is somebody else and not a unique person. Because she's both at all times. We are always that to everybody else. We are our unique selves. And we are this... um, Collector of projections, expectations, and that sort of thing from other people. So that's just the ge- sort of general invitation as to what coming into a temenos might be like, and 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 also how it is that, say, I start circles where uh, different women can from time to time, speak up and, and, and maybe be leader at that moment for a while. But why I also believe in having essentially a leaderless group, because I think that, that it's important for the women in the circle, as it is for each woman, to find her own authority and to not look to someone outside to create it, so that if you're bothered by something that rather than criticize why didn't we get a proper leader, the question is, well, what are you going to do about it? That um, I have an activist in me because of a number of reasons, and one of them may be that by psychological type I have an extroverted feeling function that's quite strong, and consequently, especially in a room full of Jungian introverts, I'm... Colleagues, not this circle. I might be uh, uh, more activist in my attitude than somebody else. That's often been true, but it and it has something to do with my typology. But it also has to do with an inner uh, knowledge that uh, of the various aspects of myself and in in goddesses in every woman. I described all of the Greek gods, all of the Greek goddesses. Actually, I I did encourage people, women, to read Gods and Every Man because I had a real sense on completion of both books that I should have written a big fat volume called Gods and Goddesses in Every Person because what you do find is that men find that there are is usually one or more goddesses that are significant to them, and and women find that there are one or two gods that are quite significant as internal figures, parts of oneself. Uh, But in Goddesses and Every Woman, I put out the model that I remind you of, that, that we are very complex beings, and to think of yourself as a circle or a committee of different aspects of yourself, and when something important comes up in your life, Who of your committee members are heard from? Who runs the show? Who steps in? Who judges? Who limits? Um, And my activist side comes from that feeling reactive Artemis that, that has a sense of justice and all that, and the voices that say silence is consent, or all it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And so I hear that from inside and then I then I also hear from a much more in, introverted side that reminds me that to be run by any one aspect of myself is to become victim of it. Now I I saw it early in my life as my activist being uh, I ended up calling it my Dalmatian dog syndrome. You know, in the firehouse, they used to have these Dalmatian dogs, these black, white dogs with black spots, and as soon as that fire bell rang, the Dalmatian dog was out and onto the <laughs> fire truck. Well, if you have an activist bent, and here's this injustice, and you can speak up, uh, if, you, if, if you just react and you don't make a choice. I I saw that as my Dalmatian dog syndrome, and I felt quite uh, more conscious when an issue would come up and I could decide whether it was my issue for now or not, that I didn't have to do the Dalmatian dog routine every time, that I could wait and see and say, no, thank you, that it gave space for someone else to do something about it. And if they didn't do something about it, it didn't have to be me. It could just be the way this group is going to live for a while, longer and longer and all that stuff. But where do I want to put my energies? And so um, in the experience of, of sitting with your own temenos, uh, feel your way through the many different aspects of yourself and who they are and why they act the way they do. And when there is then a major committee decision, like am I going to stay in this job? Am I going to stay in this relationship? Am I going to pursue this real interest? Am I going to risk myself at whatever level it's going to take for me to follow what is my bliss? Do I dare? who speaks up around the committee, how long do you stay with the process, how long do you stay at the crossroad before you decide which one you're going to take. In the myth of Demeter and Persephone, which you probably are all quite familiar with, when Persephone gets abducted into the underworld, her mother Demeter lacks the power to have prevented it and lacks the power to have her immediately returned. But what she could do was refuse to go along with what has happened. And so Demeter withdraws from Olympus, will not accept that just because Zeus said it could happen and Hades did it, that she was supposed to just go along with that's the way it is she decided that she would not set foot on Mount Olympus, that she would disguise herself as a human woman and be with people who, unlike archetypal divinities, know something about what suffering is. And her story then goes through a series of, of being at the well and entering the house of Maitanera to to be nursemaid to demophon to to sublimate her own loss and live out her mother archetype by mothering someone else's child which is, succeeds up to a point but only so far for this partic- in this particular story and then having given and given and given and suppressed her anger she then uh, becomes angry requires that a temple be built, and then she goes up and sits and sits and passive-aggressively refuses to do her job. And as she was goddess of the grain and a major image of the fertility of the earth, when Demeter went into her temple and just sat, nothing on earth grew, and the earth starts to become a wasteland when there's no greenness, there are no buds, there's no fruit, uh, there's no new births. And famine threatens to lay waste to the entire earth. And only at that point does Zeus recognize that something is the matter and respond (laughs) by sending (laughs) Hermes down into the underworld to bring Persephone back. And when Persephone comes back, Hermes, who is the messenger god, who goes between the levels, who brings meaning. I mean, when you're down in the underworld or metaphorically under the ocean or metaphorically in the forest, the point at which you get it, what the meaning of it is, you begin to be able to, to move out of that underworld descent place into another place. At any rate, Hermes comes down and lets her know that it's possible to return to the upper world. And at that point, Persephone makes a decision which involves her taking in and integrating something of that experience of being in the underworld. That is, she eats the pomegranate seeds. That means that she will not be returned to her mother as if nothing has happened to her. It's like she never experienced any of this descent at all. She would just go through life again as a child woman. But because she integrates the experience by swallowing the seeds, the pomegranate seeds, it now means that she will spend part of each year in the underworld. Part of each cycle is spent in the underworld when the land is fallow in winter. Because Persephone then comes to represent the seasons of our life as well as the seasons of the planet's life. That there are times when the earth lies fallow and in the spring when green shoots start to come up, when grass begins to grow through the crust of, of near frozen, formerly frozen earth, when the green but trees, when the buds start to grow on the the skeletal trees outside, it's the sign of spring returning the daughter the maiden uh, the feminine young aspect of mother earth is being born anew as she is born anew every spring and in the myth as persephone uh, is brought to the upper world by hermes she steps out of the chariot and her foot hits the earth and in some version at that point Green grass and flowers break out all over the earth because Persephone has been returned to her mother. And her mother rushes out of the temple and embraces her daughter. And her depression is healed when she connects with the innocent, youthful maiden that is the significant archetype that is abducted. When you make a depression descent, when you have been betrayed when you have been hurt when you have been abused when you have been despondent when you've given up when you've just been flat out depressed there is no child in you that can feel joyful creative awed by anything there's no spring you're old you're dried up you're having your own wasteland experience inside and only when the daughter goddess the maiden the inner child returns and is embraced by the mature maternal aspect of a woman's psyche is the reunion one that heals both the unmothered abducted child part and the distraught uh, mother who has lost the child And so it's a story that is about the seasons. It's a story about the seasons of many women's lives who have gone through depressions. And at the very end of the story, which is told in the Homeric hymn to Demeter, uh, there are a couple of lines that reflect something of the even more profound meaning of the story. And one line says that from the time that Persephone returned from the underworld, Hecate preceded and followed her from that day forward wherever she went. And to precede and follow somebody is certainly difficult if you are uh, uh, embodied. So one assumes that a statement like that must mean that some, some essential element of Hecate precedes, follows, surrounds the woman who as Persephone has been abducted into the underworld and emerges because she has gotten a sense of the meaning of it through Hermes and knows that there is a receptive maternal world that cared about her and stayed faithful to her and to whom she can return. And that is a part that's inside of her, though it may be represented by real women in her life as well. And as she comes back, she has learned about suffering. She has learned about the existence of the underworld. She has gained the wisdom of Hecate, who is in the triple goddess aspect of how when divinity was seen as feminine, she was always seen in her three phases of maiden matron or mother, and crone or wise woman. And when you have been abducted into the underworld, and you emerge having integrated some of the experience, and now know something about suffering, you have the wisdom of Hecate. You have the wisdom that knows that life has its cycles, for one thing. And you then have an awareness that the next cycle you're on, that when it's really wonderful, when you are in the spring of a relationship, a job, a period of health, and you know to appreciate that it will not last forever, but to fully have gratitude, because this is the phase, this is the place where you are now. And that when you find yourself again in the descent part, and you have been disillusioned or there's a remission the remission of your illness has has ended and now you are coping again with whatever it is and it might be a physical return of an illness or a psychological return of an illness and you know if you have Hecate with you that this too is a period that will change that we grow in wisdom as we live long enough and reconnect over and over with Hecate, that wherever we are, that this too will pass. And it allows us to treat the experience differently. It gives us choices. And we have to keep making them. How much is wisdom? How much is denial? How much is detachment? Over and over again. And Persephone, on returning from her descent has hecate as a companion and then at the very end of the hymn to demeter the story is that demeter gives to humankind the gift of the eleusinian mysteries and whoever is initiated into the eleusinian mysteries no longer fears death And um, the Eleusinian Mysteries uh, were for 2,000 to 2,500 years prior to Christianity, uh, a mystery religion based on a trinity, the triple goddess of daughter who is sacrificed, who goes into the underworld and returns in the spring. So it's a resurrected, divine daughter. A mother divinity instead of a father divinity. And the equivalent of Holy Ghost in the wisdom that is Hecate. The message actually is the same as the Christian story about needing not fear death because each is just a cycle and there is such a thing as return, resurrection, rebirth. Uh, and that death is not the end. So for some 5,000 years, either under the Eleusinian Mysteries or under the Christian Mysteries, for our particular culture, there has been the major story, which these are. And there is something about these stories helping our soul path as well. Because the story says something about what it is we, in fact, live through in our descents. We all, at times, follow what we feel is what we are called to do. And it may lead us to the equivalent of the cross where we will be crucified for blowing the whistle, for leaving the job, for leaving the person, for doing what others did not expect us to do, On Palm Sunday, all of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus, thinking that he was going to be the political Messiah that was going to free the Jewish people from the Romans. Well, that wasn't his idea about what he had come to do. It was quite different. And he knew that his story would take him to the cross, and he didn't particularly want to go, and he also didn't know how bad it was going to be when he got there. The Easter story tells us that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did I listen to the archetype of the self and get nailed to the cross? It hurts. I feel abandoned here. Maybe it was an enormous mistake. And I write in Ring of Power about the Saturday of Easter week being the most important day as far as re- representing the transition we all go through when we have done what we have done in a moment of truth, and we have killed off our former life. That whoever we were before we made that statement, did that act, um, we can no longer be ever again. Our old self is dead. If not to ourself, then to others, perhaps the old expectations, the old assumptions have died. And we do not know whether as a result we are in the Saturday of Easter week now in the equivalent of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And we do not know whether this is the end or the beginning. We don't know that it is a womb or a tomb. And that is the labyrinth, that is the experience of transformation that is not the hero's journey, but the heroine's journey. It is a story about how you get to a point where you are in the underworld and you don't know personally, but you mythically, archetypally know that spring will come, that there will be a rebirth and a resurrection. But when you are living that portion of the story, you very often do not know whether this is the end or the beginning. And you do not feel very heroic at all. And so I consider this a very heroic story, whether it's lived out by Jesus or lived out by Persephone or lived out by any one of us, that we don't go off feeling like this is going to be a piece of cake that just when we need it, Athena's going to come down and, and trick somebody into giving us victory, which was Achilles' story, um, that we can always count on uh, being a John Wayne hero hero in the story. Uh, Because if you care deeply, if feeling is part of your journey, which it seems invariably so for women, then there is a sense of of concern for will you survive, will others survive, will you make it through, Uh, how will this end? And there is, like in the story of Psyche, great doubt that you can do what is called for. Time and time again, Psyche was faced with a situation in which she was called upon to do more than she knew how. And her first reaction always was, I can't. It's impossible. I give up. I want to die. It doesn't sound very heroic. But she would stay with the task, and something would come to her aid, something that represented an, at that point as yet undeveloped part of herself that would come and show her a way. And that's what something of the journey is like when it is a heroine's journey. And you don't know what is coming next, or if you can make it through, or what will arise to be a help at this particular time, at this particular place in the story. The word mystery came from what the initiate at the Eleusinian Mysteries was called, uh, mystes, M-Y-S-T-E-S. That's what the initiate was called. And the concept of a personally significant spiritual transformative experience arose in Western civilization with the Eleusinian mysteries. There were tribal or, or city or people religious experiences where one's people were led. When one's prophets told the people what needed to be done. But to have a personal experience that transforms you from within, that is what mystery is. It's not what authority says about what came down from the mountaintop. It is that you have an experience that transforms you from within. You have a transcendent, transpersonal, uh, sacred, uh, self, spiritual experience beyond words. Wor- words can be put to it. But as William James described mystical experiences, and in, I put the word ineffable, what do you do? when you have an ineffable experience. Well, for one thing, you can't put it in a box of words and define it and then prove it to somebody else. But you can hold in consciousness a recollection remembering of it like a dream. And you can put it in the form that most helps you to remember what the experience is. And often in these ineffable times when something of great beauty and great depth and great meaning affects you, you may find that the words that come come not from the logical left brain but come from the poetic mind. And that by metaphor, by poetry, you can allude to the ineffable that you experience and hold on to it. So these are some things of the, the, the... experience of the stories that we all have been through. It's just that we get so caught up in the everydayness of our lives and that we have so much to do, so much to juggle, so much that's right in front of our face. How is it that we can retreat long enough, deep enough, to remember and recollect those moments out of time, in and out of time, Where the mystery is that we have been conscious of touching on an invisible world of great meaning, and it has imbued our conscious life with something that we have to ask of ourselves, what is the meaning of it for us?
0: This podcast is distributed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker but please do not change it or sell it if you like this episode tell your friends about us or leave us a review on itunes for more information about classes training programs videos audio this podcast or to find a Jungian analyst near you visit our website, www.yongchicago.org.